It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who probably still have a stash of face masks in their glove box. Mm, yeah, they keep, they're kind of everywhere. Actually, I'm like, oh, there's masks there and there's masks over there. Yes, it's a little bit like uh, the pacifier days when your kids are in the toddler years. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive producer. Just kidding. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You're not an executive producer? Not so far, no. Is that, is that a promotion from executive director? I. It's a, a lateral move, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're really just the Steven Spielberg of Voices for Vaccines. I mean, this is the truth. Yeah. I'm the Will Ferrell. <laughs> sure. Does he do a lot of executive directing? I'm not sure. Right he was the executive producer it. of what was it, Succession. Oh, okay. How weird is that? Good to know. Yeah. Who are you? Oh, I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician. I, I don't, I'm not involved in the film industry. So <laughs> I am a general pediatrician here at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm also our uh, immunization coalition chair of iowaimmunizes.org. <laughs> Go check out Iowa Immunizes. They're doing great stuff, uh, an inspiration for all the nation. And it's not an accident that I said executive producer. I said that mm. because we are having the producer and director of the film Shot in the Arm on today's episode. So that is quite exciting. Yep. I love that film. And I think I've seen it, or I've seen parts of it at various different venues. And then we did a screening of it here in Des Moines. And so we sure did. I'm very excited for this. Well, he's going to be joining us. Actually, it looks like in just a couple of minutes. So mm -hmm. I just want to start on a sad note today over, you know, the past weekend, we lost first lady, former first lady, Rosalind Carter. And she was of course a staunch champion of immunization. She founded the organization that was called at the time, Every Child by Two, because they wanted to make sure that every child got their immunizations before they turned two. Now, mm -hmm. immunization is a lifelong matter. And so the organization is known as Vaccinate Your Family. And of course, we send out our good wishes to them and our deepest condolences. And it really is worth, I think, mentioning just on a personal note that like, if it weren't for her, like every child by two and vaccinate your baby and then vaccinate your family, that's kind of our origin story. That's how we got to get into vaccine advocacy and such. So if it weren't for Rosalind Carter, there would really be no Talk podcast. So we have a lot to owe her. It's true. It's very true. And, you know, honestly, if it weren't for Rosalind Carter, everyone listening to this probably wouldn't have gotten their DTaP vaccines or D DPT vaccines. They probably wouldn't have gotten their polio vaccines as they were going into their kindergarten roundups or as they were entering kindergarten. It probably would have been just sort of all over the place according to what your doctor had the bandwidth to make sure that you got. Not saying that doctors don't have a lot of bandwidth, but you know, <laughs> uh, in some places it is not uniform. And so yeah, they really helped make that uniform by making sure that kids had those checkpoints at childcare, mm -hmm. at kindergarten, and usually at, you know, sixth or seventh grade, really important stuff. And she's responsible for that. And the fact that we're not 
you know, having a constant wave of measles run through our communities, that's that's something we can thank them for. Alrighty. So did you have an around the web? Well, sure. I can just mention that, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately, we're just having increasing, increasing uh, evidence of the efficacy of HPV vaccine. And so I just wanted to highlight one thing, which was a study that kind of came out that said that it's done such a good job that it's actually making us reevaluate how we're going to possibly do uh, screening for cervical cancer in the future. I mean, the, the vaccine has or just nearly eliminated the high risk oncogenic strains. And this uh, particular study was in cell host and microbe. And what I wanted to point out about this, and this is by Pemenhoff et al., is that this study showed just great news about the HPV vaccine. And the fact that we might be rethinking the screening is a big deal. One of the things that it mentioned is that since the high-risk oncogenic strains are, you know, toast, some of the lower risks, some other strains, other types of HPV, including some of the lower-risk oncogenic strains, might they're redistributing their prevalence basically in the community. So we might have to pay attention to that in the future. And that might be something where, as we've done in the past with HPV, we add strains to the mm-hmm. to the vaccine and whatnot. But nothing in the study indicated that this was a, in fact, it ends with like, this should not get in the way of the goals of eliminating cervical cancer or reducing cervical cancer, right? So what do you think the stuff that was pulled out by our friend, <laughs> uh, RFK Jr. and uh, Children's Health Defense oh, was, was pulled out in, in their take on this particular study? Right. It's that the, the emerging oncogenic strains yeah. are taking over and now you're going to, they're turbo cancer monster. Right truck rally not only that they have the audacity to write an article criticizing the headlines of other news outlets about how they put misleading spins on the study's findings oh. um, and so they're like yeah the hpv may increase the prevalence and distribution of some hpv virus strains including some that are linked to cancer according to a new study but the media is putting a misleading spin on the study's findings like no overall it is decreasing tremendously. We have so many good data points, including cervical cancer itself as an endpoint, to show that vaccinated cohorts, as they get older, are just not having nearly as much cervical cancer. Uh, and so it is a ridiculous spin. And I mean, I'm used to anti-vax groups being ridiculous, and I'm used to them being pro-infection. I'm not as used to them, A, being pro-cancer. That's pretty pathetic. And B, like not even being able to put much of a veneer on, like, especially when you're the kind of the the face of a of a potential presidential candidate here, like you'd think you'd want to be at least a little bit more honest isn't really the right word, but less obviously deceptive. And they're just not able to sustain that. <laughs> no, it's breathtaking in its audacity. It really is. That was about all I had. So make sure everybody who's able to get the HPV vaccine gets it because it's one of the most important vaccines we have. It truly is. It's a lifesaver. And no one anywhere can any longer call it a new vaccine. That's the no. good news. No, it's it's uh, what came out in 06. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, very old at this point. It's almost an adult itself. That's right. All righty. Well, when we come back from the break, we will have the executive producer of Shot in the Arm, Scott Kennedy.
now we are joined by Scott Kennedy, the brains behind the new film Shot in the Arm, a film about immunizations, about the pandemic, about uh, what we owe to each other, as they would say on the wonderful show, The Good Place. So welcome, Scott. Thank you. But there's if we're going to talk about brains in this movie, Karen, you know that you are the brains of this movie. So let's be honest with your viewers, listeners. What do we call them? Listeners, because they don't look at us. Okay, we get to see each other. They don't get to see us. That's a shame. Um, Sorry for the for the joking, everybody. Karen and I like to tease each other. But uh, (laughs) it's an honor to be here. Right. And as Scott mentioned, I actually make an appearance in the film or two. Actually, I enjoy enjoy the film because I am both the first and last word of it. That was on purpose. Oh, was it? I didn't know that. I was like. We call that in the biz. We call that bookending, everybody. Uh We call that bookending. So we we thought about that. Um, We thought about that a lot because you were clever and human and funny and honest. And uh, yeah, you're a wonderful part of the film. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, this isn't about me, though. This is about you and your film. So I will kick it off with the first question to you, which is, why do a film about vaccines? So um, I'm going to take it back a step. Uh, My previous film was called uh, Food Evolution. It was a reset of the conversation on GMOs. And there's a lot of overlap between people who are anti-GMO and people that are anti-vaccine, where there are and the industries that benefit from that misinformation, disinformation, fear-mongering. So uh, I made Food Evolution, and that's where I met Neil deGrasse Tyson, who ended up being the narrator of Food Evolution and the script consultant on Food Evolution. And Food Evolution was also the start of, I guess, a journey that I don't think is quite over yet in terms of projects that I want to make, of defending science. I was stumbling along like so many other people on the planet, just taking science for granted every day. It's like not thinking about it. And then I looked into the GMO controversy and was like, oh, wow, this is really out of balance. And it's out of balance with some of the most privileged and educated people, especially in the United States, but around the world who'd been who'd been sold, dare we use the word, duped into believing that GMOs are dangerous. And, oh, look what we have here. Those products are dangerous. Allow us to sell you organic food and then offshoots of that chiropractor chiropractory chiropractory anyone that's all they deserve <laughs> um makes supplement, sense supplements alternative health and all these things so uh sorry for the backstory but that was the beginning of my journey in terms of defending science and then a wonderful doctor who your listeners should know about dr john schwartzberg who runs one of the doctors who runs the berkeley wellness letter look it up great organization like yourselves smart people vetting science for us helping us make better decisions as citizens and as parents. He is in Food Evolution, and he said to me in about the fall of 2018, Scott, what's your next movie? You should really take on these anti-vaxxers. And in my wisdom, which you'll love, Karen, in my wisdom, I said, oh, no, those guys are going to burn out. I don't need to make a movie about them. <laughs> so I was completely wrong, as actually, which we maybe, maybe we'll talk about how much the public health industry has been wrong about avoiding them for a long time and not giving them oxygen and all those other things. So cut to just a few months later, spring of 2019, and you know where this is going, record-breaking measles outbreaks in 
a state of emergency in New York City, state of emergency in Washington State, pockets of measles outbreaks all across Europe. And I said, what the heck is going on here? And that is when I saw, I sorry, did a little bit of research and saw that measles were going to be eliminated in the United States in 2000. Right? We were on the way to getting rid of them. No need to even take the vaccines anymore if it happened. And, and then I saw Dr. Paul Offit on a podcast, a podcast actually where there were anti-vaxxers beating on the window trying to get in and disrupt his, uh, his podcast. And I reached out to him and he was very nice. He vetted me. He did check out my previous work. He checked out Food Evolution to see if it was if I was a quality filmmaker, an honest journalist. And he said, Scott, it's kind of simple and terrifying. There are people out there that have come to be known as anti-vaxxers that scare parents and into not getting their kids vaccinated. And similar to the line that you say in the movie, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when there will be measles in those communities. And I thought, uh, so then he introduced me to you and he introduced me to other players in this, Dr. Tony Fauci, Dr. Uh, Peter Hotez. Um, I found Blima Marcus on her own, but I also wanted to film with the people who were referred to as the antis. So our first day of shooting was with the lovely Dell Bigtree at uh, the ASIP meetings at uh, the CDC. And we filmed with the OG, Dr. Andrew Wakefield at events across the United States and told his backstory. And now the top of the pyramid is Robert Kennedy Jr. So this was all in 2019. And we thought we had a pretty interesting, fascinating, complicated, worthy story to tell. And then COVID happened and it went to this whole other place. So how did that happen dynamically in terms of COVID hitting and how did that change your vision and the direction of the film? Sure. For a minute, I know you all were uh, smarter than me. And for a minute, I was wondering if COVID, like Blima in the film, if COVID was going to be maybe not the end of the anti-vax movement, but God forbid that we have a once in a century pandemic, can we all come together and agree that let's trust, let's look, look to the, the experts and try and make decisions with the best information that we can, try and make decisions beyond the end of our nose, decisions that are best for the entire community and the world instead of just for ourselves. And um, I was wrong. I didn't realize, uh, again, I just it's gonna be a laundry list of Scott Kennedy gets things wrong. Great podcast. And I was wrong again, and the anti-vaxxers doubled down and tripled down and, um, and really tried to take advantage of this fragile situation and, and make it worse. It was also a bit of a perfect storm. While it's not a political film, clearly the president at that at that time, Donald Trump, was sort of in the right place at the wrong time, or the wrong place at the wrong time to be someone who made it worse in terms of trust and clear information and just making things more confusing. So yeah, it just got more interesting and more complicated. We decided to put my family in the film in hopefully a very humble and small way to capture a little bit of the all of us. And uh, yeah, then we went on this journey of two years of filming and, and editing and just came out to the world. Actually, one of the first places we presented the film was at Your Wonderful Conference in Minnesota in September 2022. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have been taking this film out, unveiling it, letting people see it. What kind of response are you getting? Are people throwing popcorn at you, tomatoes, 
chasing you down the street with pitchforks or do they seem to like it okay? Uh, good question. So we uh, we had the pleasure of bringing the film to the world to the public health community first. And that response has been just so remarkable, so powerful, cathartic, emotional. Healing is a big word we've seen um, at these events because they live through not just the exhaustion of years of trying to deal with this pandemic, but on top of that, the slings and arrows of people saying, COVID doesn't exist, you're a terrible person, you're lying, you're, the vaccines are gonna do more harm. And then on top of that, some of those people that were spreading that misinformation and hate ended up, some of them, not getting vaccinated and getting COVID and then being in the same hospitals. And those public health people didn't turn them away and say, hey, you didn't like me. I thought you said this didn't exist and get snarky and cynical. They gave them the best public health treatment that they can, the best medical advice and medical treatment that they could. And I find that so um, so inspiring. So that community has just, just really gobbled up the film and we've still just scratched the surface on reaching that community. So please, all of your listeners, come and find us and let's set up set up screenings, um, which we'll get to, I'm sure, at the uh, end of the, the podcast, but shotinthearmmovie.com for now, can say it and say it again. And then in terms of the slings and arrows, Karen, of the the tomatoes or the um, the hate, I have been very surprised at how few antis have shown up to screen. So far, we're still very early into this, so far, because with food evolution, oh boy, I, it was a guarantee that the first question in Q&A for screenings of, of food evolution, anti. They were ready. They had their questions before they saw the movie, right? They just came in with a, you know, a, a monologue and, and then questions on top of it. So, so far, it's been reasonably quiet, but I expect that to continue to get worse, especially when Robert Kennedy Jr.'s team sees the, sees the effect of his Samoa scene in particular and his... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there's a lot of memorable parts of that movie, but I think the the one that easily sticks with a lot of people is that interview that you did with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I thought it was pretty amazing to get the kind of language and admissions and such and kind of almost self-incriminating kind of talk that he did. How did you tell us about that interview and tell us just kind of what your approach was and how you got such great content from him? So I thought we were going to have to be trickier in, in filming with him, which we started trickier. I don't mean any lying, everybody. I meant in terms of just trying to, if he was going to avoid us. So we started filming with him before the interview that you're referring to by just showing up at events. So one of my favorite smaller moments is an interview with him in front of the Capitol in 2019. And it's like a 21-year-old PA slash sound person because it's independent filmmaking and i couldn't even afford to fly there to be there i'm in his ear on an, on, on his uh, earbuds or whatever he was wearing and so he's holding a microphone se 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 separate person filming not that that couldn't be an all a, a one person show as that happens in the past but and he's interviewing robert kenny jr and del bigtree but this in particular part is he's interviewing robert kenny jr with me in his ear and this young man is holding it down and it's i was just so impressed so when we thought about trying to get a sit-down interview uh, with Robert Kennedy Jr., I thought he was going to say no and all these things. And my team said, hey, Scott, why don't we try the easiest route and just ask? And we asked, and, and his team said, he, said, he and his team said yes. 
he was a fan of my second film, The Garden, uh, which is about the largest community garden in the country. And it had a lot of themes that overlapped with his community, his confirmation bias, whatever we want to say. The movie's a lot more complicated than that, but it did celebrate growing local and these wonderful aspects, but it also took to task people who are liars because I don't like liars. And so he said yes. And I saved, he gave us an hour at his his house, his home in Brentwood, his posh home in Brentwood. And I saved Samoa, the Samoa story for the end. Do we need to explain Samoa to your amazing listeners? They've probably heard it a few times. But let's, let's see if we can do the, you know, the elevator pitch on it, that would be yeah. good. It's complicated, but what I'll try and do as short as possible. So in, in uh, I can't remember the exact date, the middle of 2018, uh, two babies were given the MMR vaccine in a hospital in Samoa, and sadly they died. What we find out later was it was just a human error by the nurses, not nefarious nurses, just a human error. They mixed, they mixed in a muscle relaxant instead of saline water into the MMR vaccine, and these poor babies died. The anti-vaccine movement, jumped on this and said, see how horrible the MMR vaccine is. Actually, I hope that we'll find a recording someday. Just play act with me a second, Karen. So someday we're going to get a recording of I'm, I'm uh, Del Big Tree calling Robert Kennedy Jr. and saying, did you hear about the two babies dying in Samoa? What would Robert Kennedy Jr.'s first response to that be? Oh, we got to fly there and encourage them to stop vaccinating. This is our opportunity, this is our a big chance. Opportunity. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I agree, but I think there was one moment before that. Which was what? Right? <laughs> like, right. Right? right. They know <laughs> what? it's never happened before. Yeah. Right. There haven't yeah, been yeah, yeah. deaths from MMR before. So they the, the first one is the interesting one. Mm -hmm. They would say, sure. huh? What are you talking about? And then they go to exactly what you're talking about. So that's the thing we'll probably never get our hands on. But that's it's just if you think about it psychologically, of course, that's the first thing they did because they didn't call every day and say, we're tracking all the deaths from MMR vaccines around the world because it, it doesn't happen because the vaccine is obviously incredibly safe and helpful. So sorry for the sidebar. So, yes, the prime minister of Samoa stopped all vaccines on the island of Samoa. He had a grandson who uh, has a grandson who is autistic. So he'd already been sold some of the fear, false fear around MMR vaccines leading to autism. So he stopped all vaccines on the island. You know where this is going. Robert Kennedy Jr. visited and sort of celebrated and complimented the prime minister on stopping these vaccines. And there was a measles outbreak and there are 5,000 cases of measles and almost hundred dead babies. And it was terrifying. Thankfully, the prime minister changed his mind, got his own MMR vaccine on camera, on the news, and did a huge campaign to get everybody vaccinated. And they did stop this. But this was the the part of the story that Robert Kennedy Jr. I don't think saw coming in our interview that was done in 2021. Yes, he's literally squirming during the interview. And it's it's rough to rough and fascinating to watch him try to spin and deny and then realize that he's denying something that we probably have very clear evidence for that he is denying, which I think we start to call that a lie, but I won't go on record as saying that. We'll let the audience decide that. So yes, it's a powerful, uh, powerful scene. It, it is. And um, I just want to know how it felt 
in that moment? Like, did you almost feel bad for him? Like, should I make him feel comfortable? Or were you like, this is great. I love this. Um, I don't think I was, I worked really hard to be pre prepared for it. And I know he's extremely smart and clever. So I definitely didn't have the time to enjoy it in that way yet. That was more in the editing room. Actually, one of my, my favorite moments, because I don't know why I like this moment. I don't mostly like, don't like putting myself in my movies and I never narrated any of my films. I narrated this one sort of out of uh, respect for and uh, the lemonade of of the, the lemonade of the lemons of being in lockdown. It sort of came, became natural that I needed to be the narrator on this. <laughs> the moment I like is I ask him, and this is classic, the classic way that he responds to a question. I say, well, do you have any idea of what the measles outbreaks were in, you know, the previous 10 years before 2019? He goes, how the hell would I know? Like, what, what is, what kind of answer is that? You could just say no, or I'm not exactly sure. But he says, how the hell would I know? Again, just slurring and being a bully. And you hear me say, oh, I've got it right here. And I don't know why that makes me laugh every time because I'm like I'm like the little kid that you know, like you know studied for the test. And I have <laughs> oh, what do you know? Twist. <laughs> yeah. and I have the information there, and the information is very damning. Where you see the MMR vaccine working, zero, 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 all these different years of of zero cases, and there may be one or two, and then you come to 2019, and there's 5,000 plus cases. And then it gets it gets worse from there. So I was concentrating a lot <laughs> during the interview. I come from a family of lawyers. My father and stepfather sadly both passed. Hello, Michael and RJ. I was channeling them and the hard work that they did on like cross-examination. So I was thinking about that. There are about five billion delicious micro moments in this film that are so human. And I think that's the reason I love it is it just really, it shows some wonderful moments. It's the moment when Paul's mom calls him after an interview or the moment when Bleema looks into the camera and says, I've never been so wrong in my life. But I think- And a lot of them were with your parents, of course. Some well, of those parents. most golden yes, moments. Yes, here, here. And I asked also, like, I should get a little bit of a film credit for this because I did the filming of the scenes of my parents getting their vaccines. I was the, the camera lady. But I think that my favorite micro moment is your daughter, Tessa, saying something like, would you just stop filming me? <laughs> Which is such a pandemic moment. Do you have a favorite itty bitty moment in the film that other people might miss? Oh, well, the one I told you, the, the Samoa one is one most people go by because they're just like, oh, Scott's doing his job. But I hear my geeky hard work in the background of that. Mm -hmm. um, I love that that those that that triple of uh, of my family where we've been in the film for a long time and we've seen that the vaccine is here. And it's actually the prelude to January 6th, which is only in the movie because Del Bigtree and other anti-vaxxers had a stage there. So we wanted a little moment of levity and time passing for that. So it's three moments with my wife, Tessa, three individual moments, my wife, Tessa, and Eden. So it starts with Catherine. <laughs> She's my wife, Catherine, asleep on her bed and she can see her. It's like nap sleep. She's like in the middle of the day. And she says to me, why are you asking me a question if you can see that I'm sleeping? It's just so funny. And I, and I wanted it to be what it was, which was like, 
I'm imperfect, right? I'm, I'm not going to do this filmmaking thing perfectly. There's no such thing as that. And then we cut to Tessa and she says she's doing her homework at her computer and I'm filming her. And she says, can't you just see that I'm doing something like, you know, leave me alone, dad. And then the third one, Eden gets the cleanest. She just slams the door in my face <laughs> to her bedroom. And yeah, and we just really, again, we wanted to just in some way let our family represent a little bit of the all of us and especially not be precious that, oh, look at this. I, Scott's family is so nice and they do everything perfectly. And it's like, I love my family, Karen. Now, yes, I see you mouthing. They are nice. I love my family and I think I hope they are nice, but we're also human. And that was the important part, as you said, the human, these human moments. And the response has been has been has been very nice. I'm sure we'll get some haters out there, but uh, the response has been very nice because of the, all of us, right? I mean, Ina Marie throwing back uh, the whipped cream directly into her mouth and, with the fridge door open, you know? So you, you've said that the, the reception seems at the showings to be very positive. You haven't seen much of an anti-vaccine presence. Do you have an idea of why that is compared to your previous film? And do you think that's going to change as this rollout continues, especially as maybe RFK Jr., you know, is more and more in the spotlight. And if that's, you know, if, if people start to see that in that part of it in your film. It's a great question. I don't know for sure. They're going back to food evolution. We did see a lot of antis and then we did see a lot of ignoring. They just, they just tried to leave us alone, which is obviously a strategy. These people we refer to as the anti-vaxxers are not stupid by any stretch. They are very, very clever communicators they're very clever marketers they're very very ruthless so that might be a strategy we, we will we will see Dell Big Tree asked our executive producer Neil deGrasse Tyson to be on his show and and Neil did that and there's been a mixed response to that in the especially from the public health side mm -hmm. and I'm not here to defend Neil deGrasse Tyson he can he can do that himself but I know that Neil thought about that very very carefully in his the easiest one of what Neil, why did you go on Del Big Tree show was Neil would say he had a better chance of convincing people on Dell's side of the fence uh -huh. in some small way than Dell had of damaging his side of the fence. And uh -huh. I think that's completely valid. Did Del Big Tree try and edit it together into gotcha moments? Of course, those are, you know, those, those exist on the internet, but Neil handled himself very, very well. And respectfully, he didn't like yell at Del Bigtree. He showed Del Bigtree for who he is. And we'll be using more of those clips from our side too. We just don't have a team of people putting it on the interwebs immediately as Del Bigtree did. I don't think I heard when you kind of talked earlier on about how you got hooked up with the various people, how, how Neil deGrasse Tyson got attached to the project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. We, we probably, probably did it pretty quickly. He, I met him on Food Evolution where he was the narrator oh, okay. and, and script consultant on that. And then with, with Shot in the Arm, he thankfully had not blocked my number. And when I contacted him again, he was still there. And he, I sent him about a two hour uh, rough cut, which uh, the film's about 90 minutes now. And just for you folks, your, your listeners that are wondering how hard it is to edit a documentary. Oh yeah, it's hard. Don't feel sorry for us. It's a wonderful, wonderful process, but I'll do a quick sidebar on that. I saw somebody introducing a stop motion film at a film festival. And the way that they described that made a lot of sense for editing a documentary. They said, making a stop motion film is like making love and being stabbed to death at the same time. 
So it's a little bit like editing a documentary. The other one that's a little more, more G-rated for your listeners is uh, it's like I made this one up. It's like having 5,000 piece jigsaw puzzles in one box and you have none of the pictures, right? So you have these amazing images in there that you have to try and then you have to try and connect them. So it's a wonderful and exhausting process. So that two hour rough cut that we sent to Neil was after months and months and months of that, of, of editing. And he, he, he liked it. He had some great notes about things to tighten up, things to get more clear, things to, to cut. He was a big advocate for shortening the amount of time that someone like Robert Kennedy Jr. was in the film. And that was valid because it's, you know, there was only so much we needed of him in the film to, to, to make the point. And I said, well, would you come back again as script consultant? And this time, would you also consider being an executive producer and you know, putting your name on it and helping us further the reach of the film? And I'm so grateful that he did. And we've done a ton of screenings together and we did a ton of press together. And your listeners can go find all that on the, on the interwebs. And yeah, it's just been a remarkable collaboration. I'm honored to call him a friend and a mentor. He's absolutely my science communication mentor. And um, he's just darn good company, everybody. Yeah, that person you see on the radio and TV and all these places, he's exactly the same in, in, in real life. And it's such a, it's actually kind of a metaphor for the difference between the antis and the public health people, right? Antis are spinning and lying and dancing around and they're not the same people. Most everybody I've met, actually every, almost every scientist I've met is the same because they're not lying. This is what they do. This is what they enjoy doing. And they're very proud of it. And it's, uh, it's an honor to, uh, to know them. I'm really interested on your, sorry if I'm monopolizing the questions, Karen. <laughs> uh, the, I'm interested in your journey on that, because as you said at the beginning, when you kind of started on this, you didn't, you really kind of thought that the anti-vaccine movement was pretty fringe and would burn out. So how did that evolve? And what points did you realize, oh, there's more to this, more of a threat than I realized? Okay. First of all, just to really underline to your audience how stupid I was in October of 2018 to say that they were going to burn out. That was after I'd already made Food Evolution. <laughs> so I knew about the antis. I, I, anyway, so we'll move on from that. Well, I'll join you in thinking that, you know, at the beginning of COVID, I also, I think a lot of us were like, wow, this is going to be an opportunity this, that to demonstrate the, the power of vaccines and show how anti-science the anti-vaccine movement is. And then it didn't quite all pan out the way we expected. Right. So, so you're not the only one with that line of thinking. <laughs> Sorry, underline your question for me one more time. I'm sorry. I, I was just wondering how you started from thinking that the anti-vaccine movement was fringe and would burn out. And then you've obviously changed your mind on that. Were there points that uh, in the development of your film where that came into more clear focus for you that you can point to? Uh, yeah, uh, 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 Samoa was, was one of them. And then seeing how ruthless they were during COVID and excited, like there's clips of, Del Bigtree saying, you know, All right, of course the pandemic has been a benefit to us. How can you even say those words? Like, what is wrong with you? You know, that we've seen our audience grow. And actually, if you, your listeners want to watch for a tick with Del Bigtree, he does this, does a little, we're, we're doing audio only, does this tiny little tick where his left shoulder kind of goes to his left ear when he's a little fibby. I can't guarantee it, but I've seen it a handful of times because he says the number there, Karen. And uh, and uh, we actually cut to you uh, li listening to it. 
and um, in your in your kitchen. And uh, he 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 does it. He goes, oh, our numbers went from you know two hundred thousand listeners to you know three point five million. And it's like mm, I don't know if that's the actual number. Sorry for the for the sidebar. But yeah, it was seeing them celebrating them taking advantage of this horrible situation. And again, it should make perfect sense because that's exactly what they've been doing since the beginning. They're taking advantage. Paul Offit says it beautifully. They're taking advantage of a fragile mother, parents, but often mothers, a fragile mother who could be skeptical of vaccines and concerned that vaccines might have something to do with their child's autism or any other mental uh, handicap, and they take advantage of that. And it's just so, so awful to take advantage of somebody in a fragile situation. It's just one of the many tools that they use successfully. And it's, they, I hope people will see what they are doing. Well, we're running low on time. Uh I know. Can you believe it? This conversation has gone so fast. Uh, I want to make sure that if folks want to reach you or get a screening or see a trailer, they know how to do that. So if people want, and I always tell people the 90-minute screening is, you know, the one they want to do. How do they get a hold of you and your team? The one that my son calls Chumbert. How do, how do they get a hold of you and figure out how to do that? Yes. So uh, shotinthearmmovie.com, shotinthearmmovie.com. That has all of this information and has all of my socials on there too. So please follow us, follow my Substack. But there you can go to the screenings page and request a, request a screening. And our screenings are, I guess, really three. And with all of them are in-person and virtual. Uh, the 90-minute version, which I agree with you, Karen, is better than the 60-minute. The 60-minute version is still very sturdy if people have less time. And then I also give a 45 minute and sometimes a little bit shorter talk with the film where I talk and I, and we cut to clips. And again, all of these are available both in person, much more fun, but also uh, virtually. And there's packages within that where you can have a live screening, but you also could license the film for your community for a handful of time. So all of this might sound a little bit complicated to your audience who's like, wait, why can't I just see it on Netflix? And we can talk about that, which is the, sadly, we, we were turned down from a lot of the major streamers, but that's not going to stop us from bringing the film to you all. So it's happening and, and it's easy to set up a screening and we will be on PBS in 2024, date to be determined. And then the long throw of the film, which we're so excited about and hope to partner with all of you on as well, is the education side, is mm-hmm. getting this into middle schools, high schools, higher education. God forbid we have uh, a curriculum for adults as well to use the film as a warning of the dangers of different disinformation, the dangers of selfishness, really, the dangers of our confirmation bias, and remind them of the brilliance of the tools of the scientific method to help us make the best decisions, not just for ourselves, but for everyone. And yes, that's especially Neil. Neil is so excited to see this film used because that's really the only way that we stop the success of disinformation is having an informed planet that knows how to use the tools of science. And God forbid, again, humility to say, hey, just because I feel this, just because my tribe is saying this, just because my uncle Bob is sending this to me on the socials doesn't make it true. And how can we 
check ourselves. That's amazing. And you actually answered the last question I was going to ask you. So <laughs> way to go, Scott. Well, I am so proud of you and this work you've done. I've seen a couple of iterations of this film and I cannot even believe how good it's gotten. It is fantastic. It is emotional. It is smart. It's absolutely wonderful. And um, my son says that he doesn't want anyone to ever see it because I tell him to put his pants on. So another one of my favorite moments. <laughs> another one. I, I couldn't have done it without you, Karen. So thank you so much for agreeing to be in it. And your wonderful parents are in it. And um, it's been it's been a heck of a journey. And uh, I do think your listeners will dig the film. So I can't wait. Absolutely. Absolutely perfect for them. Well, um, thank you also for joining us uh, and listening to the podcast today. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Children's Hospital. And you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days at PedsGeekMD. And also find Iowa Immunizes uh, on the web at iowaimmunizes.org.